everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Today, I am joined by today's Diva writer, Mickey Friedrich. Hello, Journey people. Mickey, I'm so glad you're here. You actually serve as one of our elders. And so I would love it if you would just share a little bit of your story, how you came to know the Lord, so we can get to know you a little better. Yeah, well, thank you, Emma. I'm glad to be with you here today. And I just realized that uh, it's about this time of year, 20 years ago, that God called me back to himself. 20 years. 20 years ago. I was uh, in my fourth year of college. It took me five for undergrad, but uh, I was living in a way that, I mean, I was just doing my best to live out Proverbs 14, 12, that says there's a way that seems right to man and in the end that leads to death. I mean, I was the prodigal son and uh, God brought me to my knees in his grace and in his mercy. And it was only at that point that I came to understand the depth of God's love for me. And I'd proven to myself that life could not be found apart from him. And I got to experience just the freedom and the joy of Romans 5, 8, in that God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so ever since then, God changed my life. I have a new identity. The old man is dead. And I have a new life and a living hope that we're going to get to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, but because the creator of the universe says that I'm his son. And so um, I'm married to Jessica, an awesome wife, have four kids, Mila Bay, Knox, and Goldie, and we just love getting to plug in and serve and be a part of the body here at Watermark. It's so fun. Do you know I'm the oldest of four? I didn't know that. I'm the oldest of four. I know that life <laughs> from the kids' perspective. And today we're in 1 Corinthians 11. I almost said Romans 11, but we're in 1 <laughs> Corinthians 11. And Mickey, I'm so glad you're here and I'm just excited to hear you share with us. Awesome. Well, thank you. This has been an awesome passage to jump into. I love how we've been able to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper uh, quite a bit here recently. It's went along with our sermon series, and um, we've just gotten great feedback. Uh, it's just awesome to come to the table together. And here we see Paul teaching specifically to the Corinthians, and, and Corinth was, was very similar to the world that we live in here in America in many ways. And uh, just the main takeaway that I had for myself was how we take the supper— as well as how we live our lives 24-7, reveals our understanding of Christ's sacrifice and Christ's character and is the first step of being imitators of Paul as he is of Christ, as he mentions in verse 1 here in chapter 11, but of following Christ together. And so what it comes down to is how we love God and, and love others is, is our guide to all of life, not just with the Lord's Supper, but it especially informs how we come together as the church and especially whenever we gather to take the Lord's Supper. And so first, we come together as followers of Christ, and it's really important for us to understand what that means. It's not just wearing the jersey or claiming allegiance, mm -hmm. but we see Paul in Philippians 2 describe Christ as emptying himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So our first thing we do is we come together as followers of Christ, and then we come united in the body of Christ. Right before that, in Philippians 2, Paul says, hey, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And Paul taught the same thing in yesterday's passage. In chapter 10, verse 24, Paul says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Then we get to what was actually going on in the Corinthian church. Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper, and in verses 17 and 18, he says, hey, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And Paul knew the Corinthians, he said, and I believe it. Uh, and then we get to verses 34, 33 and 34, where Paul corrects the Corinthians, and he says, hey, first off, you need to wait for one another. You need to share what you have. You need to serve one another. And Paul emphasizes this isn't just a nice to have. 
I mean, he even goes so far as to pull out the J word, mm. judgment, which we don't hear as much on this side of the cross. No. Uh, so it's important for us whenever we see things like that uh, to just ask ourselves why. And it's because this, of the significance of what the bread and the juice represent in the Lord's Supper. So Paul, and this is some of the earliest teaching, maybe the first teaching on the Lord's Supper um, based on when we believe 1 Corinthians was written. And so Paul is quoting Jesus whenever he describes what Jesus shared when he had the first Lord's Supper the night before uh, he went to the cross. That's so interesting. And uh, Paul, Paul says, hey, when Jesus, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And this is in verse 24. He said, Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So that's our first point of why this matters so much. The bread is in remembrance of Christ's broken body. And that's the sacrifice that came at such a great cost. And so in 2 Corinthians 5.22, Paul says, For his sake he made him to be sin, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's a very significant act, and it came at great cost to Jesus. And then in the second part, Whenever Jesus took up the wine, Paul writes in verse 25, in the same way he took up the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, in the juice, we remember and proclaim the tremendous blessing of the new covenant that we have only through Christ. And this is the living hope that was promised in the Garden of Eden back in Genesis, which is ultimately fulfilled in Revelation 21. And Paul wrote beautifully about this living hope in 1 Peter 1, in verses three and following, where Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Mm. And so Peter, just like Paul, places this in this moment. And Peter goes on to say, and you rejoice, though, for a little while you're suffering in your trials or proving your faith and helping you depend on Jesus more. But the problem with the Corinthians, they didn't even get to the place of trial before they were falling on their face. Hmm. They couldn't even celebrate Jesus' sacrifice together in their homes before they there were divisions. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we often view trials as our greatest challenge, but and many times we need to start with ourselves. It's not things that are external to us. It's, it's our own flesh. And it's, it's, it's what we bring to the table. And here, um, you know, where the, the remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for the Corinthians was highlighting the divisions and lack of submission to their heavenly father, um, they were taking the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner. And as a result, they were mocking the sacrifice of Christ and the hope that we have in the new covenant. And so John MacArthur, I do want to highlight here just the importance of brief commentaries, great technical commentary, deep commentaries are awesome, but I get so much fruit from like John MacArthur's commentary on the whole Bible or Matthew Henry's commentary, mm -hmm. which is so devotional. It's free on the internet. It's open source. But here, John MacArthur talks about what does it mean in an underworld to take the supper in an unworthy manner? And here he's just saying, hey, it means to take it ritualistically and differently with an unrepentant heart or with the spirit of bitterness. And that just was just great for me to think through, to, to pray through. Um, because here's the truth. It's not just a problem for the Corinthians. I mean, we all get there from time to time. And while we're still on this side of the grave, we're still going to go astray. And that's why when Christ rose from the grave and ascended to heaven, he didn't leave us here as orphans. He gave us his spirit, his word, and his people. You see, in his Holy Spirit, 
we're able to consistently pray and listen to the Spirit as the Spirit guides us. Mm -hmm. We're also able to examine our lives according to God's Word, the truth of God. And we're, we are to live authentically and humbly with God's people. And so as I wrap up this little thing, what does it look like? Well, first, it looks like looking inward. And this is where Paul instructs the Corinthians to a personal examination before we take the, the bread and the juice. And James even instructs us, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We're to examine ourselves, but to, to confess and share in community. And then we're also to pursue together relational authenticity and accountability. Jesus taught about that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 23, where Jesus said, if you're offering your gift to the altar and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And then we are ready to worship, to remember, to commune with Christ and to celebrate our living hope together first in the bread and the juice, and then as we live our lives faithfully day by day. So Mickey, as you're sharing, I, I, I have a feeling a lot of people might be wondering, what does this look like practically? I'm sitting in church, we're about to do communion. How do I employ these principles? Yeah, that's a great question. And it applies whether or not we're taking the Lord's Supper or not. It starts with worship. It starts with the very first worship song. Where we're not just there to make sound to God. Mm -hmm. As we sing, we're worshiping, we're reflecting. Hopefully our personal devotional time from the morning before we come to church is yeah. informing us as, as we have God's word in our mind. Uh, but then as we worship, we just listen to what the Spirit's saying to us as we sing those words and constantly pray. We can stop singing. We can sit down. And the most important thing we do is do business with the Spirit so that by the time uh, we get to where we take the Lord's Supper, where we're ready to be informed by God's Word, where we're ready to get up and leave, we are constantly listening to the Spirit and trying to respond in faith. So strong. I wish we had more time. I've got more questions, but we, we got to wrap up. <laughs> but I'm excited for us to continue studying First Corinthians as a church and as you mentioned earlier, we see a lot of correction, but the good news is God's grace always makes a way for redemption. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.